right, welcome. Inappropriate Earl is back. We took a few weeks hiatus just because I lost a little motivation with no new reviews, no new subscribers. I'm telling you, if you guys don't pick up the pace on Apple Podcasts and listen, review, and subscribe, I'm going to delete it all. I'll just start another podcast called No Reviews or Subscribers. And I'll just hit record, and it'll just be dead air for 40 minutes. And I'll do it, too. But today, we're back in the fold with me and a special guest review of the Motley Crue biopic, The Dirt, which I don't know who the fact checker was in this movie, but uh, they probably work for the Trump uh, administration. There's... A lot of uh, liberties taken with real-life facts. But let's get to my guest. She's a millennial. She's a comic. She's a writer. She produces Wriggles picks on Fox. That's the segment on Sunday Football with Rob Riggle and a various array of guests. She's from Alabama, deep in the South. Decatur, if I'm not mistaken which I rarely am. She introduced me to Dick's Sporting Goods, which is like Neiman Marcus in Alabama. Give it up for the lovely Chandler Barbie. I was afraid you were going to release my address in Alabama. And uh, if you're in Alabama and need beauty products, what's the name of your mom's store? The Beehive Bathhouse. The Beehive Bathhouse for all natural soaps, bath bombs, and other various assorted beauty treatments you can order online too at the beehive bathhouse the new sponsor of inappropriate earl <laughs> like previous sponsors i don't get a dollar but it just looks good if i say someone she sent you soaps that's true i did get to, well the only uh sponsors that have ever given me anything is the great stephen piercy from rat his Mike Knuckles sponsored me from day one. And uh, Pro Stock Hockey, when I was playing hockey, sent me a pair of uh, free gloves. But let's get back to the topic on hand. Now, you are 26. Yes. I am 50. Uh, there's not many 26-year-old fans of Motley Crue, just because literally their heyday was before you were born. What made you want to see this movie in the first place? Um, I'm a fan of rock and roll from the 80s in general because my parents raised me on all of that. So I'm a big fan of Guns N' Roses. Um, I'm now an even bigger fan of Kiss now that I've seen them live twice. Um, and Motley Crue falls in that category of... I, I would say I know more about 80s rock and roll than the average millennial um so it was interesting and plus like with like the elton john movie coming out we just saw the queen movie it's like an era of these huge music documentary style movies so it was like oh can't wait to see that plus i saw the billboard every day and was like gonna watch it well, I knew the movie was going to be in trouble when, uh, if you are uh, in uh, Southern California and you drive Sunset to, uh, let's say, from uh, Fairfax to Doheny, which is about a two or three mile uh, 
a distance. Uh, Netflix has literally bought 85% of the billboards. It's, it's, I'm not kidding. It, it's Every billboard is a Netflix movie or a TV show like Glow. And uh, I knew that it was not a good sign when the only uh, billboard for the dirt was their smallest billboard right above the Viper Room. I was like, oh boy, that's how they view the movie. I asked actually, so I texted one of the publicists to one of the actors last night about that before this podcast. And he said that their reasoning of why they put that there was because it's near the rainbow whiskey, a go, go. And it's like the rock and roll part of West Hollywood. So their thought process was more of their fans would watch it because they'd see the billboard going to shows. But I would, I mean, I can't say. Uh, but why didn't they get more billboards? As well? Yeah, I mean, there's also the big billboard uh, on. Uh, it used to be the billboard for the jellies. The, it was the Adult Swim billboard that were plenty of Motley Crue and '80s metal fans would more would drive by and see it just because it's bigger. It's at a better location. I mean, the the billboard above the Viper Room. If, if you're not really paying attention, you don't even see it really because there's so many billboards in that direct area it's, it's kind of in the middle of, of bigger ones so uh but you know also the picture is as bad as when the kardashians did that calvin klein ad like they're all definitely photoshopped in and it just looks lazy and shitty which is really how the movie was yeah. just pure laziness uh, so many facts wrong starting with the opening scene i mean you don't even get a, a second of truth when it was the Whiskey 1981, I think the uh, subtitle said. Mm -hmm. And there is a uh, poster for Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which did not come out till 1983. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's not a, uh, that's a sign of how this movie's going to be, uh, you know, all the factual inaccuracies. Well, it's funny too, because I always like to, when there's uh, movies that are supposed to be based on real life events, I always like to go on IMDb where the trolls write, actually, you got this wrong or this is a goof. And within the, the movie hasn't even been out a week and already the reviews are rolling in of everything they've gotten wrong. And it's, I mean, Rolling Stone had an article of, I think they had the 20 inaccuracies of the dirt. And then uh, I mean, a lot of rock sites have had, uh, you know, their versions of uh, what they thought was wrong. And it's just such basic facts they got wrong. It's like, how lazy can you be? Like, like, I know it's a film that was probably made by millennials, but there's a thing called fucking Wikipedia. Well, you brought up a point to me the other day, like, so... My whole thing was I was like, who wrote this? Because clearly it's a younger person who didn't live in that era and experience it or just remember simple things that would make fact checking a little easier. And it is a, a younger writer. But you said that the band all helped. They, I'm sure they didn't actually help write it, but they were there in the writer's room. I'm sure that they had plenty of interview time since they're all producers. How did they not know that things were wrong? Well, I've been a part of shows. I'm sure you have too, where uh, they attach a big name to the uh, project and has an executive producer or uh, some larger role producer, director even. I've seen some names 
And it's like, I didn't see this person on set once. Yeah. It's not to say they had nothing to do with the film but or, or TV show or whatever, but uh, I highly doubt when it listed Motley Crue as producers, uh, I don't think Mick Mars was on set right. uh, in a writer's room going, oh, it just didn't happen that way. <laughs> but it's just embarrassing like for Netflix to have so much money and be funneling money into so many movies. And I'm not saying that they had to put a huge budget on this. They could have got younger actors and stuff like that's totally fine. But for it to look like it was a, it was made by a lifetime movie crew and, and then you get everything wrong. It's not even accurate. It's embarrassed. I don't know. I was just embarrassed for Netflix. I was like, why would you do this to yourself? I mean, we could literally go on for an hour about the inaccuracies. And I mean, just even uh, when in, they were doing Nikki Six's childhood and he was in the room and playing bass and the mom's yelling at him, stop. He had a Kiss poster in his room. And now this is around 1973 when Kiss was literally unknown and they certainly had no posters. It's like, that's just... Yeah, some- they weren't released till 1974. Yeah, I mean, and even in 74, there probably weren't Kiss posters. Like, they didn't really pop till, like, you know, 76, late 75. Uh, Or, like, when Tommy wore the Hulk Mania shirt that wasn't around until 1984, and it was in 1981 he had the shirt on. Yeah, I mean, Hulkamania uh, was when, uh, really blew up when uh, Hulk Hogan beat the Iron Sheik at Madison Square Garden for the... uh, the heavyweight title and that's when hulkamania was just like that's when it started so it's just that's three years earlier the fast times poster uh or like i saw someone was tweeting how vince neal's wife was pregnant in the party scene and that was in the 80s and she didn't have that baby till 1991 yeah it was totally the wrong so it was like it was years off yeah, and uh, Vince Neil doesn't have blue eyes. Uh, you know, even probably the simplest thing was the death scene where Razzle, the drummer from Hanoi Rocks, was killed each, uh, in the when Vince Neil went to go get beer. Uh, it was a Pantera. Mm-hmm. And in the uh, movie, they had it be a Corvette. That's just fucking laziness. That And... I've seen some people say, well, a Pantera was probably too much money to get. It's like Miami Vice did it when it it wasn't a real Testarossa that they drove around. They had the shell of a Testarossa just put over, I think, a, a cheaper version. So it looked like a real Testarossa. There's a million things they could have done to make it a Pantera. Just CGI a Pantera into the, you know, that's not a lot of money. So Well, overall, how did you feel about the casting, though? I mean, I'll say this, uh, and I've seen some reports ripping Machine Gun Kelly for his acting. I liked him. I thought he played Tommy Lee perfectly. Tommy Lee, let's be honest, he's not going to be up for a Nobel Prize anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and he, body wise, I'm a big uh, uh, like I'm big on people looking like the person, acting like the person, and I thought he did uh, a great job as well as the guy. Who played Mick Mars? Oh, because Mick Mars was older than them. He, I think he was like, I might be off on this fact, but I think he, Mick Mars is like ten years older than the other three guys. So I, I've always heard he was grumpy 
even when they were making it and you know before they had made it he was just like guys i've fucked more girls than the three of you put together at this point how are we making it like he was a musician like he's like i'm not here to get girls i've already gotten them uh so i thought he did a good job of portraying the uh, crankiness and the more somberish personality i mean the guy who played vince uh he was okay and uh you know i thought the i thought on the billboard nikki six character looked the most like nikki six douglas booth uh it was weird seeing him play a rock and roller because i've always seen him in indie films like as like the pretty boy or like he played like when i was in high school he was in a movie with miley cyrus and he and uh Oh wait, he was a musician in it though, so I guess he does really play music. But it was weird seeing him as like trying to be a badass as Nikki Six because I've never seen him that way. Well, as an actor like for me, Machine Gun Kelly, I've seen him on roadies and stuff, and I've also seen him in concert, and I'm like, oh yeah, you are very believable and a really great typecast as Tommy Lee. And I'm not saying Tommy Lee is dumb i mean when you make millions of dollars for 20 30 years you're not dumb uh but he portrays himself as this airhead goofball uh you know mr pussyhound which he is uh but i don't know it just i given the budget constraints that it, it seems this movie had uh Sure, I would have liked bigger names like i, I think johnny knoxville would have been a better nikki six just because he's got that that character that Nikki does, you know, he's a bullshitter and, uh, you know, I think Ashton Kutcher would have been a great Tommy Lee cause he's got mm-hmm. that airhead like, <laughs> or it's even, I was I, the fact that like Pete Davidson is the, one of the biggest, bigger names in the show. I'm a trash. Like it just made me so mad. Like the whole, he's not, I'm sorry if any of your Pete Davidson fans, I like him on SNL, but he's not a good actor. I don't get that he should have been their man or their agent. And the whole line where he's like, don't leave your girlfriend with Motley Crue because they'll fuck your girlfriend. I was like, why is this even in the movie? Like, Well, that was probably true. Well, I'm, I'm not saying it wasn't true, but I'm just saying, why are they doing the whole break the fourth wall, Adam McKay thing? That's Adam McKay style. That's like if another director tries to to direct like Quentin Tarantino, you're like, you're just ripping off Quentin Tarantino right now. Stop it. I mean, I, I did. Yeah, I mean, Pete Davidson, uh, I don't know. He's, it just didn't work for me. Like, you know, and I realized he probably fit the age range of how old uh, Tom Zuzat was back then. But uh I would have preferred a metal fan. He looked like Shy Ronnie from the SNL sketch <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> but I mean, I'm sure they could have gotten someone who was like, might have been a little more into the, like, hey, I'm a, I grew up a Motley Crue fan. Like, you know. Yeah. Like, well, that's like, I was excited to see my friend Tony Caval- Cavaliero in it, who played Ozzy, because he is a groundling and he is one of the biggest rock and roll fans huge wrestling fan loves Ozzy he he does an Ozzy impression on stage like we've written uh, we wrote sketches for him to be Ozzy I remember so to see him play that in a movie was great because 
that's so his realm and range of things. So I thought that that was such a good casting for Ozzy. I mean, I thought he was the best actor in the film. Granted, it was a very quick scene uh, of the famous, you know, when they were on tour with Ozzy. And uh, I think they were trying to impress Ozzy with how wild they were. And then I think they were taken aback by Ozzy uh, snorting a line of ants and then snorting what was remaining of the ants in Nikki Six's urine. Uh, I think that was like, oh, maybe we're not as wild as we thought we were. Uh, but even like Tony was just too muscular to play Ozzy. Now that's nitpicking a little bit, but Ozzy was never in shape like that. Uh, but you know, there were so many more problems, uh, with this film for me that that was probably the best part mm -hmm. was his just pure impression. The facial mannerisms of, uh, Ozzy in that time frame were a hundred percent spot on. And, uh, you know, I would have liked maybe a little more uh, Ozzy and, and others who might Yeah, like the David David Lee part. I'm like, there was only two seconds of him, and it was, I didn't even know who that was. Like, it didn't even represent him well. Yeah, it was a very muted David Lee Roth doing cocaine with the band, which I'm sure happened. Uh, but, like, David Lee Roth in 1983 was a complete wild man. Mm -hmm. And with... Uh, that David Lee Roth in the in the movie, he seemed like he was in sticks. He was just like, ugh. Right. Where I'm just so mad, like, why wasn't Pam Anderson in it? Yeah, they totally... Uh, I don't care about Heather Locklear. Well, I mean, she was an important part of the early, uh, you know, history yeah. of Motley Crue. Uh, but to, to completely uh, erase Pam Anderson from the world of Motley Crue. I mean, she's really what made them famous again. She's so iconic. And, and that's still a Halloween costume to this day is Tommy Lee and Pam Anderson. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, one of the most famous Halloween. And like, where was Kiss? They went on tour with Kiss, didn't they? They went on tour with Kiss and only, I don't even have to look this up. Uh, this is like something I would have liked to have seen in the film was they, Kiss took them out on the Creatures of the Night tour now, if you're a rock and roll fan, which I'm assuming, you know, anyone who wants to see the dirt is, it's not like you're going to get like, say, Killers fans going, I want to see the Motley Crue movie. It's, anyone watching this movie is going to be knowledgeable about the band's history. Uh, Creatures of the Night was like, I think Kiss's last tour in the United States for a while because they were like. It was a deep dive for Kiss in the early 80s because bands like Rat and Motley Crue were were exploding and they were just different than Kiss and younger and more aggressive. And uh, you had the, the British wave of bands like Iron Maiden and Judas Priest coming. So Kiss was just a dinosaur. Uh, so I thought that could have been a good storyline of a young Motley Crue touring with the dinosaurs. There had to have been some bitterness you know, between Kiss and them that could have been in the movie. Uh but they didn't even mention that tour. I mean, or I just like the only mention of White Snake was when Heather Locklear was like, "Aren't you in White Snake?" And he was like, "Ouch!" Like, there's so many good bands that weren't mentioned that I know had rivalries or was a part of that whole scene. Like even Guns and Roses. Like Guns and Roses had a beef with everyone. How was that not in there at all? I don't know. 
it just, it, but I thought it was cool that they were at the rainbow so much because like I go there now and it was cool that they did a setting in the eighties. By the way, that place hasn't changed since the eighties. Oh no, they probably literally filmed at the rainbow and were like, oh wow, it looks just like it did in 84. I mean, they literally have not changed anything. Maybe the carpet, which is probably a good move. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm just disappointed in everything about this movie. It just, and it goes back to the, so many facts were just, and I get it. It's a movie and I'm not trying to make it like it was, you know, Ben Hur or Jaws. It's a movie about a a decadent era that may be the most decadent band uh, in terms of sexual uh, proclivities, uh, which I knew that this movie would be a disaster. You can't do a movie about Motley Crue, Rat, Poison, Guns N' Roses in this Me Too era. It's just impossible because you know that this band, every band from the 80s was fucking underage girls. That's just mm-hmm. the way it is. Uh, if you want an indication of, you know, the type of girls that were uh, going to concerts in the 80s, and yes, they are my favorite band, but it's the perfect time capsule you go go youtube the rat video for i want a woman and it's just a live concert of of them playing the song and i would say 30 to 40 percent of the girls are under 18 in the video uh so you know some of them got backstage hey it's legal in alabama at 16 so well then i'm sure rat's gonna book a tour strictly in alabama uh but you know i i think it's impossible to do a movie about any band from the the mid 80s certainly hard rock band in this new era of you know i mean nikki six dated vanity uh the beautiful uh prince protege uh who was like really one of the most beautiful women on the planet. And and they had a, let's just say a tumultuous uh, relationship of possible, uh, you know, uh, domestic uh, physical abuse. Where was that in the movie? But that's what you get when the band produces its own, (laughs) produces (laughs) uh, its own movie. They're going to leave all the good stuff out. I don't know. Nikki six is 60 and having a baby with a, uh, believe a 27 year old uh good for him good 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 on you i'd like to see that movie uh i'm sure he doesn't want the scene in it where he beat up vanity allegedly but then tommy lee put the part where he hit his fiance in there so i thought that was good though that's it's like i mean because you know the story like you all know what happened i mean it's bad for him but i mean good on him to go yeah I, i i probably did hit heather uh you know probably hit Pam. I mean, that was well documented that he would stalk her on the Baywatch set. And, you know, I'd like to see uh, um, an unauthorized uh, dirt. Well, well, you can't. Well, I know you can't because the, the band wrote the book, so no, you're not going to. Yeah. And the, the, the director, even Jeff, he he did the documentary in 2016. So I thought it'd be a little more accurate since he directed that the real documentary, he would be able to get this. A little more right. But the thing is, is you can't have this whole persona of like, I think with rock and rollers, it's the big fish theory where, you know, when a fisherman goes fishing and they catch like a two pounder, it turns when they get back to the dock, it's a five pounder. And then eventually when they're older, it's a 10, 15, 20. I think they, the stories are true, 
but the, like the badassery of like their manager saying that they were the toughest and wildest group he'd ever managed and he had managed Bon Jovi and Kiss and like I don't believe that. I think that every rock and roll band is wild and they're trying to make this whole perception that they were the craziest young band that was in the 80s and I don't but then they don't tell the other part of like they're like, we did drugs and we dated all these chicks. But then you don't tell the part about like domestic violence or your rest or what. You know what I mean? It's like you can't have one without the other. Well, it's just, I mean, the timeline was so butchered. Uh, but, you know, just it was a fictional uh, account. Right. You know, it wasn't. Uh, but the dirt was more like real. You know, like they didn't even get into, you know, Vince Neil wasn't the original singer of Motley Crue. It was another dude, which in the movie, they portrayed him in that scene in the apartment as the other guitar player. Mm -hmm. uh, but this guy was like, a, you know, uh, a little on the hippie side and Mick Mars didn't really like him. So they threw him out and then they found Vince. And e even the scene where they found Vince, uh, you know, in the movie, it's at a backyard party and he was singing the Billy Squire song, uh, My Kind of Lover, which hadn't even come out yet. Like, that's just so basic. You hire an intern who probably would have jacked off everyone on set to work on this movie just to get the credit, you know, you know, to learn on the fly on a major movie, uh, Netflix, uh, to look up these facts. Right. So well, that's the, well. They're also on any movie that is based on reality or true story. You're like there are writers that are literally on set to fact check yeah. things. So like that's a writer's assistant's job usually. So like the thing that doesn't make sense is how did they get so many? When you're doing it about a certain era and you know it's that this movie is going to be to a certain audience who literally still gets on forums to like trash. I do. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like if you know they're going to do it and they're going to nitpick, do your good diligence to try to get it right. You know, if you miss one or two things like oops, but clearly if you're a director or a writer and you see someone coming out in a Hulkamania shirt and you know, the, the, the date is not like say something, say something in the costume or like, that's your job. I mean, that was the great thing about I'm dying up here, and I don't mention that to you know get myself into the story. But like their fact checking was unbelievable on that um, set. Like the makeup people had uh, hundreds of pictures in the makeup uh, trailer of actual people from the seventies. They had Tom right. Selleck's. You know, okay, how did Tom Selleck look? How did uh, you know, comics you know, like Richard Lewis and and all these famous, David Brenner and all these famous comics from the 70s and how their hairstyles were. And I remember one time on set, uh, and this was for an extra, they spent 20 minutes arguing with a, a background actor because he didn't shave, he didn't want to shave his soul patch. Um, and this guy's face was literally on screen for under three seconds. And he was like, well, I'm only on only in the background and you know this is my look i don't really want to and they were like we'll fire you right now we need they didn't have soul patches in the 70s either you shave it right now 
or we'll just call someone else. Right. And that this was such detail-oriented discussion over a background actor. Uh, so, but I think that's a good filmmaker too. Is you want it as accurate as possible. I mean, you've worked clearly on I'm Dying Up Here for two seasons, and you it's fun to do um, era pieces. Like I've, I've I did The Big Short and a few other, and I did like, but it's it's if you do in the '80s is so fun to do a a, a film about. You have to be on your point. You have to have you have to really capture what it was like. So it just makes me mad. I think it's just lazy. Like it's lazy costuming. It's lazy writing. It's lazy directing that you don't set deck because they did the car and so, you know. But I mean like, you know, like, well, the car thing is like, I, because I, I'm a bit of a car buff and the Pantera is a really cool car. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, a, it's a rare you know, thing, but it's like that's not that much to just have someone build a Pantera shell. And I realize it's a quick scene, you know. You know, I mean, the story is Vince. But it's Neal. a big scene in the movie. It's a big scene in, in the overall story. scope of Motley Crue's history. Because for those of you who don't know, uh, there's a house party in Malibu. Uh, Vince Neal goes to get more booze at the liquor store at the very last second. Razzle the drummer from Hanoi Rocks. Let me go with you. So they go get the booze, they drive back, and Vince Neal drives head on into a uh, oncoming traffic, and uh, Razzle dies, and Vince Neal literally served. He had a 30-day sentence for killing someone. 30 days in the 80s. And he, I think he only actually served 19. Um, 19 days for killing someone. It's like only in the 80s would that happen. And uh, great lawyers, uh to get that deal. Um, and it's just, that's something so simple that could have in the, you know, construction, uh, part of the set, just, Hey, build a Pantera shell. We'll put it over a Corvette. Uh, you know, and it's like, they didn't even meet Vince Neil at a backyard party. It's so one, that scene never happened Two, there was the wrong song. Or- did you know, like, there's the scene when they meet their manager, Mick Mars looks at uh, the camera and says, this scene didn't really happen, but it sounds a lot cooler. It's like, why why, why, why put it in the movie? Because that guy, uh, Doug Thaler, was in the early days of Motley Crue, uh, he was much more important than Doc McGee, who I don't even think was around back then. Uh, so it kind of sucks if you're him, they're like, oh. You know, and there's many other people who helped Molly Crew. Vicki Hamilton, who's been on this podcast before, was uh, she was around back then. Um, and it's just like the, the complete blowing off of, of the history. And like, I really wish I would have been on set as an advisor in or someone like me because I would have been like, eh, that didn't happen that way. Like, like the scene where they met. Vince Neal could have been such a good scene. Like where they actually met him was at the Starwood, which for you local people in LA is on Crescent Heights in Santa Monica. It's now a Russian deli. I've talked about it many times before on this podcast because the owner was Eddie Nash. And if you've ever seen the movie Boogie Nights, the scene where they rip off the wacky Arab guy, it was Eddie Nash. He was like the number one drug dealer in, in, uh, California 
he owned like all these nightclubs. He owned the night the spot where Jimmy Kimmel Live is now filmed. And he was a big fan of the song Jesse's Girl. Yeah. And he had a little Asian boy named Kendo uh, <laughs> doing. I don't know if that part was true, but. Uh, and if you've ever seen the movie Wonderland, uh, Eric Bogosian, who's a great actor, played him perfectly. Just to show you how wild Eddie Nash was, uh, he knew that uh, girls liked the booger sugar, the cocaine. So he would have cocaine parties and he would give his cocaine away for free. Financially, he didn't charge these girls. But he said, if you want cocaine, I'm going to go in the bathroom. I'm going to take the biggest shit I can take. And you know, if you do cocaine, you, you're, you're, uh, your bowels are loose. It runs through your body. It runs. It's, so you're, you when you take a shit it's it's a it's a good one it's literally i've never (laughs) but i've never done it before but like you know i just know plenty of people who have and let's just say uh um yeah it's like a chocolate yogurt factories in your mud hole uh he would have girls oh you want you want some of my cocaine it's the best in the world you got it but before you take one snort you gotta lick my ass clean so he was a character it's the whole point of that interlude um and you know Nikki Six and him and probably Tommy Lee and Mick Bars and Vince all had wild parties with Eddie Nash. And that's where they met Vince Neil. He was in a cover band. And and so that could have been like, you know, more uh, typical of what the 80s was in Vince Neil in a backyard barbecue singing. That's a ripoff right. of... And it's also like Netflix doesn't um, have age restrictions on a lot of their movies so like why didn't they just put that in you know like it like them saying like oh it's too r whatever there are so many other like fucked up things on netflix that they produced and done that it's like why didn't you put that in there it doesn't but i mean that's just like an example of that would have been a great scene it would have been a, a perfect time capsule of what the 80s was like of young bands trying to make it by you know fucking girls with the club owner and cocaine and being abusive towards women i mean let's be honest that's what was going on man what an era oh my god i was there too but i was only 13 uh i was perfect for r kelly at that time uh but like i I mean i always when i heard this movie was being made i was like you just can't do a movie about an 80s band in this you know thanks harvey weinstein you fucked up the dirt with your shenanigans uh i mean you know kiss had a song christine 16 i mean what do you think motley Crue's song too young to fall in love was about uh ted nugent jailbait i mean a little later on in the 80s winger 17 i mean you don't think these bands were fucking underage girls uh, which is wrong but if you're gonna do a movie about a band from the 80s you can't leave that out right and you know even like I mean, we could literally go on for two hours about the inaccuracies. They had in the movie Tommy Lee uh, meeting uh, Heather Locklear the night of the car accident. Right. And that's such a simple fact that anyone on set could have checked. They met at an REO Speedwagon concert. It's a well-documented story. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and we could go on and on, you know, they didn't fire Doc McGee over him. Or like apparently the sorry, no, no, the interior of the arena at the Forum was incorrect too. You know that they played their first show there, and then someone was like, "That's not even the Forum." Like, 
Like someone was so pissed online and like wrote a whole paragraph about how that's not even how the forum looks like. And like clearly that wasn't the layout or the interior in the 80s. But I don't think they played the forum with Ozzy, which was around the era of that scene. You know, it's like just, that's literally looking up Ozzy's Wikipedia page and going, OK, where did he play in 19? Uh, I mean, Ozzy played the forum, but I don't think he played it with Motley Crue. Uh I mean, that's literally looking up a Wikipedia page. That t- t- takes two minutes. So, uh, but they didn't fire Doc McGee in the movie. They uh, Doc McGee was fired uh, because he brought Nikki's mom to the hotel. And Doc McGee just said in an interview, uh, I think this, not maybe not this week, but recently, he never even met Nikki's mom. You know, he was fired, which would have been a great story because you could have uh, gotten a lot of bands into this scene to like add to the the wildness the moscow music festival uh which was all those bands were supposed to be sober now i might get it wrong who was there but it was bon jovi uh skid row cinderella i i want to say white snake was there too and Doc McGee told Motley Crue, everyone's doing a stripped down set. There's not going to be a lot of bombs and pyros. So it's basically, you know, Bon Jovi will walk out and play. You will walk out and play. And Bon Jovi was the only band that had like full pyro and in, in, in the full 100% show. And then Motley Crue and the others didn't. And that's why he was fired. So why not put that in the movie? Like you have to make up this phony scene with Nikki Six's mom and you know that way you could have gotten Bon Jovi in there and mm-hmm. you know just like I mean I know we're overanalyzing a movie that probably not a lot of people care about in the first place but if you're going to do a movie do it right right so are you going to be stalking the Hulk movie that comes out or the I'd like the to Hulk be in it to be honest with you to but, make sure they get it correct so for those of you uh you know and Chandler's uh much more behind the scenes in the movie world than I am uh, they are doing a Hulk Hogan biopic and uh Chris Hemsworth is in it right yes he's uh, Hulk, Hulk Hogan. Hogan I believe I'll I'll look it up right now uh if who else is in it they probably haven't cast it yet but uh no. if you're gonna do a movie about Hulk Hogan which you know it's funny we're talking about Motley Crue and the dirt you know Hulk Hogan's rise was really the same time frame as Motley Crue right uh and if you know anything about 80s pro wrestling uh and and the people who listen to this podcast and to the people who do, I do appreciate you. I really do. You know, I like that. Side note. I like that you threaten your fans at the beginning of the podcast, because like on our podcast, we are always like, Oh my gosh, thank you so much for the review. And you're like, listen, I'm going to quit. But it's true though. Like, and I mean, like I think right now on iTunes or Apple podcast, uh, I have, uh, a little over 200 actual people who left reviews. I think I have over like around 500 ratings. I do appreciate each and every one of them. I was going to leave a review, but you can't leave audio. Cause I was just going to go. Uh, well, that'd be better than, uh, Oh, and Oh, it's a Netflix movie. The Hulk Hogan movie. Well, you know, here's the thing. And we're going to get back to the Motley Crue movie. Uh, but, Todd Phillips is directing the Hulk Hogan movie. Todd Phillips is so great, so you know it's going to be good. But what worries me is uh, it is a Netflix movie, and and I I think it depends on 
who is the the boss in charge. Uh, you know, you, you certainly see in the world of stand-up comics, you see certain people's Netflix specials get pushed. Mm-hmm. You know, Amy Schumer, obviously, is very popular uh, with someone at Netflix because she gets prime billing, as she should. She's a big comic. Uh, and it, even her billboards made me think, oh, this movie, The Dirt, is not going to do well because she has two massive billboards. One, she had th- She had one during the Oscars, too, that was just her name. Yeah. Before even anything came out about her Netflix special. But she has one on Santa Monica and La Cienega, which uh, Netflix, it does not have a large presence on Santa Monica Boulevard. So the fact that they gave her uh, the big billboard that they do have, plus whatever they have of her on Sunset, it's like, okay, someone's behind her on this network. Uh, clearly, the dirt was more of an afterthought to most of the the top branch uh mm-hmm. at netflix but you know with todd phillips involvement in the hulk hogan movie um you, you know hopefully uh he uh can bring in not necessarily bigger names because i think it's important that whoever you have in the hulk hogan movie are wrestling fans because right. if you have someone like say uh let's just say bradley cooper which uh, you'd have to have him just because he's Bradley Cooper, but if he's not a pro wrestling fan, now he's such a good actor. He strikes me as the type that would research, say, Bradley, you're going to play the ultimate warrior. He's such a method actor. He strikes me as someone who would do, I'm not saying he would do this, but he would work out a lot. He would do whatever he needed to, to look like the ultimate warrior. And, uh, but I just think it's, if you get people who are actually into the subject matter, it's a better movie. You know, uh, so like you could tell Machine Gun Kelly probably researched Tommy Lee. How did he talk? How did he look? You know, I'll lose a little bit of weight. Because if you're, I feel like because if you're a fan of it and then you get to play that person, it's such an honor that you want to do it justice. You know, you want to do it like that's like Rami Malek, who played Freddie Mercury in the in the Queen movie. Apparently he was not their first choice. And the producers are the ones that pushed for him. But it was such an honor for him to play that you could tell he worked like he wore those teeth, um, the Freddie Mercury teeth that they made for him. He wore those around even when he wasn't on set because he really wanted to be that person for the months that he was filming. So it's like you can you can tell and he, he deserved that Oscar because he worked hard and he wanted to do it right. And I don't know. Well, I just say, you know, like, you know, with the Hulk Hogan movie, I mean, Hulk Hogan had a wild life of steroids, cocaine, womanizing. Yeah. Uh, you know, Hulk Hogan was like a one-man Motley crew. I mean, he really was. I mean, he was the biggest. He was such a big star that even people who don't follow wrestling knew who he was, and which is rare. In the in the 80s, wrestling, no one knew it was fake, too. So, like, they could be super wild and do whatever and... You didn't know it wasn't real because there wasn't the internet. Yeah, there was, you know, I've always, it's a joke I do on stage. Uh, you know, I really did think uh, wrestling was real. Like when I was a kid in the 80s, you know, like I, I always reference this one particular wrestler, Kamala, the Ugandan giant. Like, at least I was like, oh, fuck, how'd they get this guy over from Africa? Like, this is crazy. Like, because he would come to the ring in a grass skirt, he'd have like a, a white face on, for lack of a better, uh, where he had a moon and uh 
two stars painted on his stomach like he was an actual savage like he was the wild man from borneo which is the famous uh, character in the little rascals you know in the early 30s where he was chasing the little rascals around the house he was a savage like <laughs> a slave type of native looking character and that's what kamala was so you know with no internet you really thought oh wow this is crazy but now with the internet you could look up kamala the ugandan giant and go oh his name's james harris and he lives in tupelo mississippi of course he has no legs anymore but that's another issue uh which is really sad i mean the world of pro wrestling is is might be more brutal than stand-up comedy uh they really uh they don't uh, remember you well once your shelf life is over. They on to the next guy. You know, it's like Andre the Giant was the Hulk Hogan before Hulk Hogan. His body started breaking down. Vince McMahon's like, okay, we've got this huge blonde guy with all these muscles. Thanks, Andre, for the <laughs> for saving us for the last decade. Get you're, out! Yeah, you're fired. Which is kind of how it is in the music world. You you look at the Rats and the Motley Crues and the Poisons and the Cinderellas. As soon as Nirvana came along, it was thanks, guys, for making us all bazillions of dollars. Nirvana and Alice in Chains will take it from here. See ya. Get you know? out. And then Backstreet Boys and NSYNC came along and, all right, see ya, Nirvana and, you know, Alice in Chains and, you know, Soundgarden and then, you know, uh, Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and Pink came and see you, Backstreet Boys. And like, it's really cyclical. So, in one sense, it's pretty amazing that a movie about an 80s band was made in 2019 or 2018, released in 2019. Because so, of the Me Too movement or just because. Well, that. I mean, no I just don't cares. know, uh, you know, how this Hulk Hogan movie is. How can you accurately portray Hulk Hogan in 2019? You just, I don't think well, you can. But it's also, I mean, granted, Wolf of Wall Street was right before the Me Too movement, but that's like Jordan Belfort. Like, it's a, it's a different world because it was Wall Street, but like, it was in the eighties, and he was fucking hookers and doing blow and beat. He beat his wife, which they didn't really put that part in. Sorry, Jordan, read your book. I know that that happened. Um, I. I feel like it's like in comedy where if you're playing, so if you're playing a character on stage and you say something offensive, but it's like your character would say that and you're, you're so researched in this character you've created, it's forgivable. I think that's how movies should be. Like, why are we worried about offending people in 2019 when you're just being accurate of what happened or what that character did. You know what I mean? Like, it's a movie. It's not like you're actually doing this now. But clearly that happened. That's like if you do a movie about slavery, that happened. Like, it did. It, you should portray what actually happened. Like, why are you beating around the bush? So I think with the 80s, if they were doing blow or they were doing this, like, clearly your kids have heard the stories portray it correctly and well, and and like not fuck the me too movement because like obviously that's a but like all but like that did happen 40 years ago or 30 years ago you know oh yeah well i'm a i'm probably not the um the target audience although for the dirt i probably am and, and definitely for the hulk hogan movie i mean like i don't think anyone who doesn't like pro wrestling is gonna go see the or i guess it's a netflix they're not gonna stream the hulk hogan movie like you know you might 
watch it because we're dating and you know i like pro wrestling right and i like so, chris hemsworth right well yeah i, I don't blame you there he's, <laughs> he's, got, he's got a good body uh and he's a good looking guy uh but like i just think you should get the facts right because it's a niche movie right. like no like I, i'm trying to think of uh someone we know uh I'll, I'll take a comedy friend of ours who uh i'm trying to think of someone we know who doesn't like pro wrestling uh um well i mean i i can't think of a, a name in particular but uh like joe rogan does not like pro wrestling okay. I, you know from the standpoint of uh you know, he finds it silly. If you ever listen to Joe talk about pro wrestling, uh, you know, he, he obviously comes from the UFC and MMA background where it's real. Right. So it's a hard, pro wrestling is a hard sell to someone like Joe because like, hey, do you want to watch uh, Shawn Michaels and Scott Hall fight in a fictional match or do you want to watch uh, Alistair Overeem and Brock Lesnar really fight? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know. If, I mean, Joe's so well researched he might watch the hulk hogan movie but uh, you know uh, some of your female friends well that's like two so probably wouldn't watch um i'm friends with Britt baron who is in the show glow and she plays uh the daughter i think her name is scab in the show uh she came from theater world and dramatic acting she's very girly feminine in real life and she plays this boy tomboy wrestler in glow and then in our show she's like a stunt ski girl who is super tomboy and and so it's funny how she was talking to me when she first got glow she researched so much about women's 80s wrestling because she didn't know any of it and she didn't grow up learning any of it and um how it's changed her view on all of that and how she's kind of into it. So I think, and it's on Netflix and it's done really well. They have three seasons. So, oh yeah. So I'm maybe, you know, the, the Hulk Hogan movie will do well because it is eighties and it's just the boy version of wrestling. If that makes sense. Cause clearly there's an audience on Netflix for wrestling. Cause I, I like, I, I, would I watched Glow just because I was like, oh, women's wrestling. I don't know anything about it, but it sounds good. And then I started watching it and was like, oh, shit, this is a really good show. And it makes me want to, like, look up women's wrestling in the 80s to see how accurate or, like, what. Does that make sense what I'm saying here? Yeah, like, because, I, think- I mean, women's wrestling, you talk about a niche uh <laughs> You know, pro wrestling's a niche uh, subject matter to cover, but women's wrestling is like, because there really were only, uh, and I'm, you know, even people who follow pro wrestling aren't going to know these names, but in the in the world of women's pro wrestling for so long, probably from the 50s to really the 80s, you had the fabulous Moolah, mm-hmm. who was like the Hulk Hogan of, of female wrestling. She was basically the star, and then everyone would fight her. And then you had May, uh, May Young, uh, who was her counterpart and then women's wrestling was just kind of you know those two until it's the, like women's basketball now no one cares about yeah the WNBA 
But what got women's wrestling back on the map was Hulk Hogan, uh, was Cindy Lauper's connection to the world right. of pro wrestling when you had Hulk Hogan fighting uh, my dear friend, the late, great Rowdy Roddy Piper. And uh, Wendy Richter was the WWF at that time champion. And uh, because it was the rock and roll wrestling connection and MTV was just popping and Cindy Lauper was huge uh, at that time. Uh you know, Wendy Richter got a lot of popularity because of her association with Wendy Richter. Right. Or, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Cindy Lauper and Hulk Hogan and Mr. T and Roddy Piper. Uh, and, and then she kind of faded. And then, you know, now women's wrestling is more like really, really hot chicks. The Bella Twins. Bella Twins, uh, Charlotte Flair, Ric Flair's daughter. Eva Marie, uh, she doesn't wrestle anymore, though. Uh, but it, it, Lita, who was uh, back in, she was kind of... In the 90s, got women's wrestling back on the map because she was really hot and she was actually a great technical wrestler. Uh, so, but you know, if you if you do an accurate movie about Hulk Hogan, you're going to have to have uh, you know uh, cocaine use. Uh, the, the sex that was going on in the 80s and the in the WWF was maybe on par with what was going on at a Motley Crue concert. Um, homosexuality is, uh, you know, let's just say uh, prominent in the world of pro wrestling. Um, you know, I mean, the ultimate warrior, rest in peace. He hinted at, uh, you know, some uh, homosexual situations that Hulk Hogan was in. Uh, you know, now I would argue that, and this is a joke I do on stage, is it gay if you... I think for some of these guys, pussy is a gateway drug to dick. They just get so many women that they just look at a guy and go, yeah, why not? See, to me, that's not gay. When you run out of women to get you off of, that's boredom. Now, if you only sleep with one, and I'm actually asking you this, like, if you only sleep with one girl and then you want dick, eh, you might, that might be like, like Vince Neal slept with thousands of women. Right. Well, I think it's, it's, it's like, um, I think it's with anything as you get so uh, immune to what you're like, if you, so in the film industry, it's a, it's the wild west. Would you not agree? Or the comedy world? Oh, well, I mean, I haven't really been a part of the film industry in great detail. To but, be honest. You have, I have not. <laughs> uh, in the comedy world, I can speak of, uh, you know, it, it's, it is the wild west although it's a, it's a lot tamer now but now you have but, most comics and we know you know uh are on the dating apps tender uh yeah. bumble uh, raya uh what's the other one uh, seeking arrangements oh that's the sugar daddy app well there's not well there are a few comics who don't have the cash to be on that got on there just because they know the real whores are there that's but, true but you know it, it's like i don't think there's a comic I mean, there's several comics who do very well with women, but I don't think they do that well where they would look at uh, me and go, hey, Skakel's got a great body. I'd love to suck his dick. No, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. so I'm not saying that that's what's happening, but I'm just saying like, so I've been in the film industry eight years. Yeah, explain came, your background to, from I mean, in terms of your, uh, your industry background. Okay, so I uh, grew up in the South, uh, small town, conservative family a uh, very conservative area where i was i was a, a christian jew which was like are they going to hell because they're half jewish you know because they didn't even know what jewish was in the south really 
you know, they don't know that it's literally like your heritage. Can I do a quick interruption? Yeah. Just to validate what, uh, or confirm what uh, Chandler is saying. One of my first road gigs was in the South in Georgia. And I do, I had a joke at the time about being Jewish, right? But I'm Catholic. And the club owner came up to me afterwards. Like, dude, you can't tell people you're Jewish around here. And I thought it was kidding. No. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, they want to kill you. Yeah. Now maybe he was exaggerating a little bit on that, but continue. Like, uh, one of the schools I went to in high school, the KKK still like met at the town hall as like a thing. Well, they pay their dues. They, but, they yeah, had, but no, I'm just, just saying kidding. like, that's like it's, and it, that's where I grew up anyways. So I started working in the film industry when I was 18. Cause they will not hire a PA until you're 18. And, um, by the age of 21, I had seen cocaine. I had seen, uh, the most crazy, like the started to see in the craziest parties because at that point, uh, I was over the drinking age, was being invited to parties, was seeing producers hook up with eighteen year old girls, and they were in their fifties. So now that I'm twenty six, I'm immune. Like I will be like, oh yeah, they did coke the other day. And people are like, wait, what? Like my, like my, the, my parents' minds would explode if they knew the things I'd seen. Like I've, I've seen threesomes at parties. I've seen gangbangs at parties and it's not that I'm participating or anything, but you, you go and it's just, you're so used to seeing it. I'm surprised we haven't met. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I mean? Your mind gets warped to seeing that because you've seen it so much that you don't think anything of it. If that makes sense. Oh, yeah, that's why, like, uh, you know, and, and I know we started this podcast talking about the dirt, but it's probably coming full circle. It, it's like, uh, you know, Roast Battle at the Comedy Store is seen as this wild and edgy show, mm-hmm. which it is. Uh, you talk about, I can't believe the show's still going in this Me Too era, like, you know, with all the racially charged zingers and slurs that are used on the show. Uh but I always tell people, you think Rose Battle's an edgy show. You should have been at the comedy store in the mid-2000s where I yeah. saw plenty of comics cry because of the host was giving them the worst intro in the world uh, and meant it. Like, you know, there was this one uh, heavyset comic, I won't say his name, but he, he, he was large. He was like uh, Ralphie May large. And he would go on stage reading his Palm Pilot which shows you how far this was a palm pilot uh i remember when i got my palm pilot i thought it was like the most technological advanced thing i've ever seen in my life <laughs> looking back now it's like an edge of sketch but uh the host at the comedy store whose name i will mention because he's a legend in the comedy store history james painter uh, if he didn't like you he would give you a, a just a brutal intro and he his uh intro for this guy was if you like boring fat guys who read jokes from their shitty palm pilot you're gonna love this next guy and that was his intro <laughs> and so of course this guy's gonna bomb who's gonna like uh you know be able to you know hit the stage running with that intro right. uh, so you know i've been to I mean, you know, my stories of gangbangs and sexual proclivities that my friends were doing. So when I see something wild now, it's like, this is nothing. Right. You're just like, I, and you're like, what parties did you go to? Because it's always like, I don't know how I ended up here, but 
Yeah, parties today are nothing compared. Yeah, to that's what I always or I don't know or when people complain that like someone's smoking weed around them and stuff. I'm like, get over it. Do you do you realize what industry you're in or what what's going on around you? Who cares? I don't know. I just have a warped sense of. <laughs> I'm negative. But I mean, it, it's, I, I think, uh, I don't know if it's negative, but it's just being realistic about what you're, if you're portraying something from the 80s, it was such a different uh, vibe, yeah. you know? There was no, you, you know, when I was your age, 20, and I sound ancient, you know, my parents would always be like, Earl, if, you know, if you were around when we were your age and Elvis was like, oh my God, you guys are so old, but now I sound like them. Like back in the eighties, there was no Netflix, there was no Hulu or Amazon, or there was no streaming, there was no YouTube, uh, you know. So if you wanted to go to a comedy club, you couldn't. Like I'll admit, I mean, I do comedy, but like you do it as well. Like, you know, if I want to watch a comedy show, you know, I'll just YouTube Foster Brooks, oh, this right. or, or whoever, Dane Cook or Crystalia or Theo Vaughn or whoever, Jason Galern. Uh, but back then, you had to. If you wanted to go see Jason Galern, you had to get your ass up and go to the comedy store, you know, right. uh, or Dice. Uh, or well, I also, I think too, like, I, I read this article that was saying how um, technology is making people flaky because it's so, like, back then, you, if you made plans with someone to go to the comedy store at 9 p.m., you had to fucking meet them. Yeah, you had to go there. You had to go. Like, you weren't texting them last minute, like, hey, sorry, overslept, or you want, like, you know, it was basically the only excuse you had is either you, you fell violently ill or had an emergency of why you weren't going to meet that person. And now it's so easy to be so disconnected or just or to wait for something better to come along, which is my biggest pet peeve with people. That And also the thing is, too, and there's there was no technology to take pictures if you did something fucked up back then, except a Polaroid, and then you definitely saw it. Yeah, but you're right. There's no you know. TMZ. There's no, uh, I forget TMZ's uh, competition. I think it's Radar Online. Or Entertainment Tonight or Paparazzi or any of that. There's nothing. So, like, if you were, like, let's just say, uh, I won't say Motley Crue uh, per se, but if you were an 80s metal band and you had a young girl backstage, a 16, 17-year-old, which is illegal, you slobs in any era, uh you know, Harvey Levin wasn't going to have a, a paparazzi guy there, you know, to blast it on TMZ mm -hmm. two minutes, literally two minutes later. Uh, or that's even like all these guys now who send dick pics to their, to girls at the well, talking Well, I team. mean, you know, but I'm just, if no, that's I'm a crime, saying, I'd be arrested. I'm not saying, but I like in their better known actors or whatever, or have a girlfriend or I'm like, you idiots, do you understand that screen recording exists now and screenshots and anything you put out is written in ink, it's not in pencil, like you're going to get caught. So you better make it for everyone or no one. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, we all know uh, guys and, and girls cheat too. Uh, I mean, it's not just guys, but I would say it's, I guess primarily guys who are maybe 60, I know 40. some she-wolves. Oh yeah, but I mean, I'm just saying, uh, you know, you 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 Snapchat, uh, you know, let's say I'm dating someone else and I Snapchat Chandler, hey, here's a dick pic, I'd love to, blah blah blah, uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, I say something to piss you off, 
I'm not saying you would do this necessarily, but you, you take a screenshot of me saying, hey, let's hook up. You, you send it to my girlfriend, busted. Like in the 80s, yeah. you didn't have that. Yeah. Uh, or not even busted is like now the whole disconnect is they just post it online for everyone. They're like, look what you did. Yeah, I mean, you're it's busted. a whole like that's you everyone. Know, that's what happened with the Me Too movement, too. You know, like you're busted. Yeah, I mean, uh, Harvey Weinstein just should have started making films in the mid-80s when there was no uh, <laughs> digital trail. Uh, Harvey Weinstein should have made... I really wish Miramax would have be back in the fold. The Weinstein brothers should have made the dirt because then Harvey Weinstein was like, that didn't happen. This happened. Let's put that in the film. I mean, there'll probably be a movie about Harvey Weinstein in the next 20 years. But but I And I probably could play him if I got uh, some couple extra pot marks. Uh, no, I, I got a nice stubble I could grow out. You would out. never gain weight, though. I would at this point in my career. <laughs> I'd I'd call up Ralphie Mays, the manager, and say, what did Ralphie eat? Oh, my <laughs> I'm God. I'm going to eat it. And I love Ralphie, by the way. All hail King Ralphie. Um, but, you know, but I'm getting back to movie making. That now I might be different. Like, I know JFK, Oliver Stone took... Uh, let's just say liberties because he leans to the left politically. So he uh, maybe made uh, JFK look uh, a little better than he, you know, JFK was a womanizer. Let's be honest. I mean, if there was a TMZ around, he was, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But I mean, he cheated on Jackie Onassis uh, like frequently. Uh, and, And, you know, that's family I'm talking about. I'm throwing my own family under the bus. Uh, you know, and I think he, uh, I think Nixon uh, did Oliver Stone. Tricky Dick. Tricky Dick. Uh, I mean, I think in that movie, which I believe Anthony Hopkins portrayed him, I'm mm-hmm. trying not to uh, interrupt our flow by, you know, looking up stuff. Uh, I believe Oliver Stone did Nixon, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and since he leans to the left, you know, he took some liberties portraying Nixon in maybe not the best way. Whereas if someone from the right did the film, Nixon would have been portrayed a little, uh, not, uh, I mean, Nixon was a pretty scummy guy, but it wouldn't have been as bad. Uh, so I like movies that just like Slapshot is one of the greatest sports movies of all time. Um, it's a hockey movie, which, you know, most hockey movies don't do well. Just you talk about a niche subject matter in America anyway. But Slapshot was a real-life look into the world of pro hockey, minor league hockey, back in the 70s. It was jungle hockey. Now, they got lucky because they got Paul Newman, maybe at that time the biggest actor of our time, because he was a hockey fan, uh, to be in the movie, which gave it a little more watchability uh, for non-hockey fans. Uh, The oomph to go, okay, I'll watch this movie in a subject that I have no interest in. But it was a very accurate portrayal of the violence uh, and the womanizing of, of the life of a pro athlete in the 70s. And uh, there's a football movie, which I think is one of the best movies of all time, with Nick Nolte called North Dallas 40. And it's basically a semi-autobiography of the Dallas Cowboys in the uh, late 60s and 70s and, and drug use in the NFL back then. And uh, it was very accurate. Um, a lot of people from that movie got blackballed from the NFL because it was too accurate. But that's what I want to see. I want to see the drug use. I want to see the womanizing. And there's a party scene in North Dallas 40 that did not portray the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, in the movie, they're called the, the North Dallas Bulls. They're mm-hmm. not called the Cowboys. But it's clear. 
it was the Dallas Cowboys. They, they did not portray them, you know, it was like a semi, not rape scene, but like some of these women were not being treated well in this scene. That's what I want to see, if that's what it's like. Like Freddie Mercury, Bohemian Rhapsody, he died of AIDS. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. he, he, he was a sexually active male. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with him being gay, but there's a reason he died of AIDS. Right. Uh, I want to see that in the movie. And not to be macabre or, uh, you know, you want the crass nitty, about it. You want it. the nitty gritty. I do. Uh, I don't want a, a cleaned up, which I think is why um, I'll go to my filmmaking uh, woman here. Who's the uh, Borat? What, Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. I think that's why he left Bohemian Rhapsody because he was like, I want, I don't well, know exactly yeah. what he said. But he's like, I want to do the warts and all version. Yeah, which is totally his style. I think with Bohemian Rhapsody, they just wanted to pay tribute, but make it family friendly. Which I get, but I once again, like... But it, the people who are older who know the story are like, no, I want to see the real story of yeah. what happened. I mean, it's it, and, and that's and lies the problem with having the band produce the movie, which I believe Queen did, the mm -hmm. surviving three members. I'm sure they didn't want to portray their best friend, uh, you know, as, as you know, Shitty. sexually charged, uh, you know, out of control wild man. But that's what he was, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's not a, I love Freddie Mercury. I think he's the best voice in the history of, of recorded music uh, and, and probably the best front man ever but you know he died how he died for a reason right uh you know i had a guest on this podcast the great jeffrey mark who it's one of my favorite uh episodes because uh, you know he's an older gay gentleman and we're just talking about growing up gay in the 70s in new york he's a singer actor and he just blurts out you know i fucked freddie mercury right i'm like what you're like pause let's talk about this a second uh, well this interview i was just i was just going to ask you about ella fitzgerald but because uh, <laughs> he wrote a book on ella fitzgerald i'm like but we're going to talk about freddie mercury right now and 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 how he did it was they met at a uh a bar in new york city that uh was known for sexual hookups and they just went in the bathroom and did their thing and like that that's the bohemian rhapsody i would want to see not the whole movie is every freddie mercury hookup but you know, I just like realism they in my like, films. I think with that, they like touched on the subject, but it was like, unless you were over a certain age, you didn't realize. Like, I remember when I watched Grease when I was four. I liked it because of the music and I wanted to look like Bad Sandy. I didn't realize Rizzo was pregnant or anything, you know, because I was so young. And I think that's how that movie was done, where like, if you are hip, you get what's going on in the movie but if you're not you don't because they don't blatantly say it or show it does that make sense right well yeah i mean she was rizzo was basically a whore uh, yeah. and uh but you're right like get looking at grace uh, you know you didn't really like i never really thought of oh rizzo's a whore yeah i didn't know i didn't know what that meant and i remember i remember grease was my favorite movie when i was four and my mom would let me watch it and i I was like, I want to be like her. I want to be like a pink lady. And my mom's like, no, you don't. 
But now that I'm older, I'm like, mom, you let me watch that. And she's like, you didn't know what it meant. And I didn't know what it meant. Now I dress like a whore, but I'm just kidding. Um, well, that's just being naive. Like I, I, uh, I mean, there's many films I watched as a kid. As I didn't really know what was going on. And like now being 50, I go, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. There's uh oh, wow. that's kind of, it's kind of weird. Uh, you know, like in with music too, like one of my favorite groups as a kid, because I grew up in the disco era, was the Village People. Right. Now, as a kid, you had no idea. I had zero idea that they were singing incredibly, uh, I guess you'd say, homoerotic uh, songs. You know, Go West, I thought was literally just about visiting California. Right. You know, but you look back now, it's no, it's go to San Francisco, go to the bathhouses and get fucked. Uh, pardon well, my language, but that's what yeah. it was about. Uh, macho man. Uh, I swear, and I'm not trying to do shtick or be funny. Uh, you know, I really thought it was a, a song about working out. But then when you start to break down the lyrics of Macho Man and, you know, you can grab a hot shower and no, that's YMCA and get yourself clean, you know, it's like, oh, that, they're not talking about working out. So, yeah, I mean, that's like the the Guns N' Roses song. You could be mine. I used to listen to it all the time. I to this day will still scream the lyric when I come home late at night. Don't ask me where I've been. Just count your stars. I'm home again. I didn't know that the whole song was about him cheating on his girlfriend or doing cocaine out late at night. I just like the song. And I used to yell that on the playground. And now I'm like, oh, my teachers probably were like, who lets her listen to this music? But so I also like the song uh, by Guns N' Roses, One in a Million. I, I actually just really like the song. But uh, they don't play it anymore. And I thought, why don't they play it anymore? And then I started looking at the band. We were at the same concert, but we didn't know each other at the time. Yeah. Uh, it's like, oh, they're going to play One of the Million. It's like one of their biggest hits, more known songs. Nope. And there's a line, there's a couple lines in the song where Axel says the N word and he also says uh, the F word for gays. And then I started looking at the drummer going, okay, this guy's a 300 pound black guy. <laughs> now I know why they don't yeah. do One in a Million anymore. I don't know if anyone's gay in this band, but he's black and he's uh, not going to, he's probably like, hey, can we skip One in a Million and do a cover? Uh, but, well, it, it, I, I think probably the best example of looking back now versus seeing the, the video then was the Olivia Newton-John video for Physical. Oh, yeah. Now, this is really like you're going to play. I'm begging everyone. If you're getting one thing from this podcast, and once again, me and Chandler uh, started this talking about the dirt, and now we're deep diving into uh, 80s Just videos. 80s things. Well, yeah, I guess it kind of fits. Please look up the video for Olivia Newton-John's physical. And it start, it's a really catchy song. I don't know if it holds up, you know, in 2019, but it was typical 80s where the start of the video, she's surrounded by fat dudes, mm -hmm. like out of shape, fat dudes. And that's the whole point of the song. She's trying to get them to work out. And at the end, like 30 seconds from the end, they all tune in to these incredibly good looking, just beautiful men, beautiful bodies. And she's getting all excited. And then, as, she gets gang banged. Well, no, as the song's ending, they all, there's probably about 20, so 10 couples 
they all start holding hands and they walk out. So they were gay. They're going to fuck. Yeah, they were gay. And as a kid, I was like, what does this mean? Like, how come they aren't trying to fuck Olivia Newton-John? <laughs> and then, you know, years later, probably recently, I was like, oh, now I get that video. They were gays. Yeah. And then she walks off with the one fat guy who stuck around. Uh, I like her style. So it is funny to see certain movies that you were naive about um, as a child and then see them again as an adult and go, oh, now you, you get a better understanding of, uh, you know, what life was about. So maybe that's just all brainwashing. The government's brainwashing us to where we watch it when we're a child and don't know what it means. And now that we're an adult, we accept it. And we're like, oh, OK. Well, you, you know, you just watch. It's just a theory I have. <laughs> Well, I mean, when you're a kid, you I don't think you analyze like kids. I I don't know how many young kids are going to see the dirt. And and our kids are immediately you know, day well, one out oh of yeah. the womb. I'm going to have it playing in the background. Uh, oh God! But you, you know, I'm sure they're not going to go. Well, that didn't happen. This didn't happen. Well, you know, they're not going to give a shit about the facts being wrong. Um, so uh, you know. I'm glad I got to get this off my chest because it really bothered me. <laughs> this was a therapy session. A th an 80s therapy session of all the... The, the things that were wrong. And we didn't even like... Well, that's like... We didn't I even get in into half the things. Like I worked in the costume department on a movie once. It makes me mad. This is the last thing I'll say about it. Like Tommy Lee, Machine Gun Kelly, there's a scene. He has headphones on. Those headphones are present day headphones. <laughs> they are not 80s headphones. So I'm like, what are you doing? Did you just go pick them up at Target? Like, that was something that made me mad. Because I'm like, that's such a simple wardrobe assistant mess up. Well, I mean, we didn't get into, I mean, there's so many, like, you know, they didn't even really cover the singer. His name is John Karabi. He took over for Vince Neil. And they did a whole album with this guy. Right. And in the movie, uh, John Karabi was in two scenes, no speaking scenes. But he was somewhat of a big part of, of the history of the band. And, and the way they just glossed over Motley Crue's life from 94 to 2005. Uh, you know, and, and even that, the reunion with Vince Neil, it did not happen in a bar. Okay. It, it, it happened uh, in like a, a lawyer's office where there was tons of lawyers. They Motley Crue would never say this now, but they wanted to do a second album with John Karabi because in the mid nineties and John Karabi's a great singer, he, he, but he's very like Chris Cornell sound gardenish. You know, he's a rock and roller, right? Uh, you know, uh, he's, uh, he, he's like a grungy glam rocker. If that makes any sense. Uh, like he looks like he could have been in Soundgarden or Nirvana, Alice in Chains. They wanted to do a second album with him because that's the type of music that was popular in the mid-90s. It wasn't Vince Neil. Uh, and so in the movie they portrayed as, oh, we got to get rid of Karabi. We got to get Vince back. And, and it was not an immediate reunion. It was They made it seem like it was a 10-minute conversation at a bar in Malibu uh, where, in fact, there was tons of lawyers involved. And and it was just like, once again, it's like, I thought it would have been a, it would have been a better scene if you had, 
you know, that scene in, in some lawyer's office in Century City where they're arguing back and forth. Fuck you, Vince. Fuck you, Tommy. Blah, blah, blah. Lawyers arguing. Well, we want publishing. We want this. Then some sappy made up scene in a bar in Malibu where they're, you know. Right. You want to see the real deal. I want to know the real story. So if you if you won the lottery and could make any movie about any band, would you pick Rat? What would you pick? Well, listen, I'm honest. I don't think a movie about Rat would would do well. I mean, right. I'm full, we all know I'm friends with Stephen Piercy. He's very good to me. They were a bigger band in Motley Crue at one point, uh, but a couple bad decisions, uh, you know, uh, you know, management wise, you know, they could have had a song on the Top Gun soundtrack. You know, they didn't. They went with Eddie Murphy's Golden Child instead. And, you know, I mean, looking back, you don't know what's going to be a hit. You know, Eddie Murphy at the time was a bigger star than Tom Cruise. So mm -hmm. you could kind of say, all right, well, I see where they went with that movie. But, you know, you have bands who Kenny Loggins and Berlin still tour off their songs from the Top Gun soundtrack. Uh, I would do a movie about Kiss, Warts and All. Uh, I would not have Gene or Paul involved at all. Or I would. You would do the social network route where you don't, because that's what they did about Facebook. Is they didn't talk to Mark Zuckerberg. They did the movie first, and then he got to see it before it was released. Well, I would uh, reach out to Gene and Paul and say, "Listen, this is the movie I'm doing, whether you were involved or not. I mean." You know, you guys were failing in the early 80s. That's going to be portrayed. Uh, Vinnie Vincent came along, wrote Lick It Up. That's going to be portrayed accurately. Then he was a complete maniac, and you guys fired him three times in two years. His craziness will be portrayed. Um, you know, and, you know, Ace Frehley and, and Peter Chris were alcoholics and drug addicts. That will be portrayed. But I will also portray that you needed them to make money uh, for the reunion tour because uh, you guys weren't really killing it with. Bruce Kulick and Eric Singer in the band. That's not a knock towards them. They're great musicians. But so, you know, you guys kept Kiss alive in the 80s. But, you know, you guys were also probably pretty hard to work with. They're probably still hard to work with. But they should be. It's their band. Yeah. But you guys will be portrayed as keeping the band afloat. They are Kiss. I mean. Um, but you guys will also be portrayed, you know, in a not favorable light as well. I mean, Kiss had a song... It goes back to the Christine Me Too. 16. And if you listen to that song, it was it's creepy under any era. But when Gene Simmons in the chorus is like, that day I saw you coming out of school, I just knew I've got to have you. I've got to have you. That's fucking creepy, man. And now he's 65 singing the same song. It's even creepier. <laughs> uh, they should change it to, you know, I don't know, uh, the, you know, uh, Jenna, Jen, I don't know. I don't know a female name that ends in great, but uh, uh, Margaret 48 <laughs> uh, or something. I don't know. Uh, you know, Winger still sings 17 because it's their only hit, mm -hmm. but it should be. She's only 18. 18. Daddy's little girl, old enough I mean, to do you. I mean, they can do Christine 18. 
Uh, you know, just I sing. Know. We're not going to. It's a hit. Just sing age appropriate songs. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, final thoughts on The Dirt from Chandler Barbie. And before you do, where can people find you on social media? Because I know that you, uh, you know, have some. I go rogue on the social media. Yeah, but you have, uh, you know, you are one of the producers of the Riggles Picks podcast with Rob Riggle and Sarah Tionic. Yeah. Do you want people to reach out to you there or you tell them where to find you? Um, you, my Instagram and Twitter are both the same. It's at Chandler Barbie, B-A-R-B-E-E. And then we also have a podcast available every Thursday on Apple podcast. And now Spotify is our new home. Uh, Riggles picks with the wonderful Sarah Tiana, who's a very funny comic and Rob Riggle. It's a sports and comedy podcast that I produce and you will occasionally hear my voice. Uh, yeah. And then some other things in the works, but. Can you talk about them or cannot. no? Well, I mean. Do you have any film projects or uh, TV yeah, shows you're working yeah. on that you can talk about? Uh, well, I, I did Shark Week last year and we're in negotiation. I'm probably going to be doing it this year. I write on that show. And uh, you're on, I, I don't think you'll mind me saying this, Rob Riggle's uh, Ski Master Academy. Oh, yeah, I'm on Rob Riggle's Ski Master Academy, and I was on previous seasons of Fox NFL's Riggle's Picks, and we'll probably be on it again this year because I write on it too, so it's very easy to just put myself in it. But why not? I mean, yeah. But it's it's also like Mary Lynn. Uh, Mary Lynn Reischka, but uh, is on it. And, 24, uh, Chloe from 24. Yeah, and your your co-host, or not your co-host, one of your co-stars, uh, Al Madrigal. The and great Al Madrigal. Madrigal. He keeps Madrigal. it real. He was on it. He's the best. I love him so much. Let me tell you why I love Al Madrigal. Uh, let's be honest. I was a pretty small part of I'm Dying Up Here. I was a recurring character, and, uh, you know, I think literally I was ahead of the boom operator in the credits. Uh, but every time there was a cast party or a premiere, Al Madrigal would literally grab my hand and pull me up to Jim Carrey and go, Jim, this is Earl. He's one of the comics on the show. He's really funny. He didn't have to do that. Uh, and so, like, you know, he could have just cordon jim carrey off in a corner and pitched him products products projects that he had you know trying to get made and like i al madrigal uh awesome dude uh, eric griffin andrew santino jake lacy clark duke michael aragano like this is my first uh time being on a show that got canceled it's like wow the show should have been on longer but right. Listen up, fans. You better subscribe to this podcast because he's seriously going to quit, he said. I, I'm being serious. Like, it's a lot of work to do this podcast. It's free work. Uh, you know, I do it. You know, I had someone reach out to me on Instagram the other day. And I was like, yo, dude, where's where's the next episode? And, he, you know, obviously he's a fan. And he wants to listen to it. But it's like, dude, you think I just, uh, you know, I do it in an unconventional way from the standpoint right. of people come to my home. It, it it takes a lot to get someone here. Uh, you and know. just being real, like even on our podcast, you feel like until Sarah Tiana, she's on tour right now and she has fans come up at every show and listen to our podcast. We don't know if you guys are listening to us because we're talking in a mic. We're trying to find guests every week, which I know Earl does. It's hard. And it's hard. It's a job. And it and you get discouraged because you're like, do people listen to this or am I just talking in a mic? 
Well, to be honest with you, that's why the last few weeks I've I've not done an episode. It's just like uh, this is now four years in. Uh, I think this will be episode I'm around two seventy five. I'm not sure or not. That's a lot of fucking episodes. And at one point, I was very high up on the Apple Podcast slash iTunes charts. But then someone reported me for a music violation. That I use one song. We'll the band. find you and we'll kill you. Well, I mean, I've tried. You know, they Apple Podcast is great, but they're not very helpful in this regard. They said. This is their exact. They sent me two emails, long story short, not to bore you fans with uh, the intricacies of what I have to deal with, but it is a reason why I've been a little down on doing this podcast lately. Uh, you know, I was as high as number one at one point, uh, but usually in the top 10. And uh, I was number one in Australia. So much so that I was planning a tour going to Australia. It's like, oh, if I'm number one there, I actually can sell tickets. Uh, and then... I was taken off the charge completely. I reached out to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call them. It's like, hey, what, why did I get taken off the charts? They're like, we'll do an investigation. They did two separate investigations. Both times they said, we found you did nothing wrong to manipulate the system. Because there are ways to manipulate the, uh, I shouldn't say this because now I know my competition will do this, but you can go on several websites to pay someone from Bangladesh to just basically buy you fake listens that, you know, iTunes doesn't really at this time have a way to figure out fake listens from Everyone real Everyone does it. That's how Instagram works. But I'm uh, on to all of you Instagram hoes. Oh, yeah. I mean, we'll get into that at another time, but uh, they're like, we found, we did two investigations. We found you did nothing wrong. And I was like, well, just put me back on the charts. And they're like, well, we don't manipulate chart position i'm like i understand that but at w my last chart position was number eight in itunes comedy that's all i want put me back there and if i drop like a stone then that's fine but they're like well we we can't guarantee you that position i'm like but you just did two investigations i did nothing wrong i'm not asking you to put me at number one ahead of rogan or will ferrell's uh, ron burgundy podcast or mark Marin. i just want to be where i was at uh so uh just you know so I, basically I, send some love to skakel snake like over here put some snake emojis in his instagram so we know you're from the podcast yeah so here's what i'm asking you guys to do now this podcast is typical of chandler didn't have to do this, do this podcast uh she actually i wouldn't say talk me into doing this but she's like come on let's do it uh this was about an hour and a half that we spent deep diving into mostly the dirt but giving you guys free content for an hour and a half hopefully you're at work well maybe not at work but in your car in your car your long drive whatever we just provided you for an hour and a half hopefully in your mind a good podcast all i ask you to do is go on apple Podcasts. you literally everyone's on apple Podcasts for the most part whether you like the podcast or not Write your true thoughts on it. This podcast sucks. This podcast is great. He has good guests. He has bad guests. He has guests no one knows. He has Stephen Piercy for Rat. He, 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 you know, maybe, you know, that helps me or get. even just see, just say who you want, who your dream guest on the show is. Like, we don't know who you want on. Yeah, if you want Rob Riggle, that could probably happen. Yeah. Uh, but Rob's not going to do a podcast. I mean, I don't want to speak for him. That, you know, no one's listening to or you know reviews help get bigger guests 
That's what I'm and saying. And sponsorships, Celsius, because I've been drinking a lot of your drinks. Yeah. Celsius, uh, Monster, if Celsius doesn't get on board, you know, more reviews, more ratings. You might think, how's that going to help you? It does, because sponsors or bigger name guests like Rob or Rob Schneider or David Spade or Jimmy Carr. I know you guys would love to have me and Jimmy Carr. Dude, Jimmy Carr is going to, he strikes me as a guy who's going to look at my subscribers. He's going to look at my ratings. He's going to look at the, the, the actual reviews and go, okay, I'll do Earl's podcast. It's pretty popular. That's the whole reason I want you guys to do this. I love you all. We're trying to provide content for you guys. Thanks. But I swear to God, if you guys don't step up the pace with reviews <laughs> and subscribers, I'm going to go on SoundCloud. I'm going to delete the whole fucking account and I'm going to tell iTunes I paid 50 people from Bangladesh to fix my rankings, manipulate the system, cancel my podcast. I'll go rogue and I'll start another podcast talking about you people. I'll start outing listeners. Inappropriate Earl, SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Leave a fucking review. If I don't get at least 10 more reviews by next week's episode, I'm deleting everything. I'm going rogue. <laughs> I'll be at Clusterfest June 21st to June 23rd, San Francisco. I'm back in the Comedy Central family. Now, a lot of people said, Earl, you got to rescind your battle offer to Jeff Ross. You're burning bridges. Comedy Central's not going to. Comedy Central respected me because I'm a soldier. I'm a voice of the voiceless. I speak for the unspoken. I stand up for victims' rights. And until that, uh, May... Well, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the actual date, but let's just say renew your Adult Swim subscriptions, you cheap money-grubbing bastards, because Barry Jelly will be back in the motherfucking house, and I'll have a billboard just above the car wash on Sunset and Fairfax, so all you people who don't talk to me now are May 20th going to go, hey, Skakel, loved your set tonight, and I'll be like, well, I haven't gone up yet. You, you clout-chasing hoes. You know, Chandler's made me well aware of all you instagram scammers buying followers not me i've got 8700 organic followers on instagram you pigs you, you chuckle fuckers you freeloading pigs you sexually charged baboon sorry i'm getting too real here uh just leave a review and subscribe to the motherfucking podcast yeah.